Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have returning guest, Dr. Erwin Laszlo. Now, Dr. Laszlo is a two-time Nobel Prize nominee and a researcher, scholar, and so much more. And today, we talk about the validity of the Akashic Records from his point of view and the quantum field from a quantum physicist point of view. This is a just remarkable conversation. If you've ever been interested or wanted to learn more about the Akashic Records and if they're real or not, Dr. Laszlo and I have a conversation that might, just might, change your mind. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome back to the show, Dr. Irvin Laszlo. How are you doing, Dr. Irvin? Oh, good. I'm glad to be back again. Thank you again so much for coming back on the show. Our last conversation has been a big hit with the audience and your work is getting out there and, and to hopefully new eyes and helping awaken this world and change this world, which is what your work is doing. Um, but today we're going to kind of focus on one of your other books and idea and concepts about the Akashic records. Uh, and mm. I wanted to know what your first, basically, what is your definition of the Akashic records coming from your point of view? Well, I mean, the Akashic record is an element, is a feature of the Akashic field. The Akashic field is the universal quantum field and the deeper dim- dimension in, in the in, in the explicate, implicate order of, of beyond the surface manifestations. So that's a field, and this field has memory. So what happens in it can be recalled in principle. This is information in the field that's registered in the field, information in this cosmic sense in which something that happened at any one time does not disappear completely. It is is not evanescent. It can be called up again from some cloud, from a cosmic cloud, as it were. Mm-hmm. So the records are actually this manifestation of the field. It's not the only feature of the field, but this memory is one feature of the field, which means that this cosmos is actually based on a continuous quantum level field in which everything that ever happened is recallable. So when you recall it, it appears like it will be the record. That's the popular term, popular formulation of it. I don't know a version against it. I just want to say that the field itself has many more features, just as important and interesting. So it also be so egoistic on thinking, I will go to records and call up my own background and so on. <laughs> what happened to me, what happened to my great-great-grandfather, etc.? <clears throat> That's a popular idea, and it's interesting to try, but the field is not there to satisfy individual curiosity. Interesting. So what what made you 
what inspired you to study the Akashic records and the Akashic field in general? I have come to the insight somehow that uh, everything that ever happened to me, I can call it up, uh, call it back again. <clears throat> because you know that in hypnosis, people can come up with details of any episode that the hypnotist suggests. So it seems it's all there. And then when I look at the uh, the newest cosmology, the quantum physics, uh, the even the relativity physics going even beyond Einstein, then you see that there is a good reason to believe that this universe is running on information. And this information is not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. This is information that is a permanent part of what what of that field. So that field becomes all the time richer and richer, of course. And this becomes a permanent record of everything that happened in space and time. It's a mind-boggling idea, but altogether quantum physics these days is mind-boggling. The universe, as we, as we as we begin to know it, where is a holographic uh, universe where all things are, are present in every part of it. I mean, there are many features of this universe which are quasi-miraculous. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Akashic records are one of those things. And I, in my effort to try to recall and remember things that went in the, in the past, that went on, <clears throat> among other things, how I learned a piece of music when I was a musician, how I performed it, how I can again come back to, to relive it again. And this is how it started. Then I then I went on to ideas and to 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 books and to conversations that I wanted to have present present. I wanted to have alive alive again. So I went to the idea of at that time when I first thought of it was before the idea of the cloud, of this internet cloud where we can save all we want. But think of it nowadays as a cosmic cloud which saves everything that there is and allows us to recall it. Because everything that has gone in the past is part of what goes on in the present and together will feature and create what will go on in the future. Is there any scientific basis for the existence of the Akashic Records? And how does it how does it relate to the broader field of quantum physics in general? Depends on what you mean by scientific basis. You know, nowadays in the great cosmo cosmological theories, altogether the new physics, what you observe is only a very tiny little part of what you consider has been true. I think the living, the, the uh, governing principle is what Einstein said at one point. He said that in the new physics, in physics altogether, we're trying to tie together the, in the simplest possible scheme, the observed facts. So we observe some facts and they seem very strange. And some of them don't seem to tie in at all. They are very mind boggling. So in, in science, we come up with a scheme that shows how all the elements that we perceive are really tiny fractional elements of that great field which comprehends all that there is and all that there has been and together creates what there will be. You know? So we're just creating this, uh, this idea of the universe on the basis of some indications, but it's rigorous nonetheless because this indication has to be the simplest possible logical scheme that can account for the facts. You know, once you do that, then you you land with the new psychology, with the new biology, with the new physics, 
because they all attempt to be the simplest possible scheme to explain what they are looking for, you know, the curious facts of this universe and for existence in the universe. Is there a process to accessing the Akashic records for an individual, let's say, or for yourself? Well, I think the altered states of consciousness seem to be a, a good way to go. Stanislav Grof, Grof the great psychologist, uh, a psychiatrist, uh, was saying that when somebody in all his, in his experience, his clients, when they enter an altered state, they never are the same again as they were. They access information that is not available in ordinary states of consciousness. Now, we know that when we are altered states, the, electromag- the electroencephalograph, the EEG pattern of our brain also changes. Usually it goes down into lower frequencies, below the alpha level. Then we are entering into deep meditation. And these uh, spiritual persons and the great uh, mystiques and, and uh, uh, speculative spiritual people, prophetic, pe- prophetic people, they are seem to be operating on that very deep level, below the le- delta level, way below alpha. So that's far away from the everyday beta level on which we exist, much, much below it. And it seems that when we enter those states through meditation, through prayer, through, through, through repeating mantras, there are various kinds of things and, and ways to enter altered states. So psychiatrists, so hypnotists and all that. But you can do it oneself too by, by simple mindfulness, meditation, allowing things to come to your mind and without forcing it. Okay, then we enlarge the spectrum of our consciousness. We not only are aware of what meets our eye and ear and other sense organs immediately now and here, but we become aware of things that are much beyond that level. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Dream, imagination, but some of these things can be verified. For example, after near-death experiences that occur, very often come up with information that we can recoup again. And this information can be verified as to what actually happened during the time that an individual was in a deep coma or in other state, which is beyond consciousness or in the absence of ordinary living consciousness. So it's not so simple to dismiss all that as imagination. We can, some of it can be checked, and it does seem that we have access to information that is beyond the level of the sensory organs, and that information is gives us something about the cosmos, about the universe, about nature, and about each other, other people that we ordinarily wouldn't be aware of. So that's one way to proceed. Another way, of course, is the scientific method based on rationality and, and integration of data and all that. One way of inquiring into the nature of the universe is to enter in altered states, like the great spiritual and religious people have been doing it, or the great artists are doing it. And I think great scientists are doing it as well. Yeah, wasn't it Einstein who received inspiration during playing music or during dream states as well? He said that imagination is more important than rationality. He said this, and it's so true, I think, in my own experience, too. I think it must have been Einstein's experience that you come up 
is an intuition about how things could be. And then you, you start hunting it down to start asking what happens if this was true? How would we know it? What difference would it make? You know, and then you set out on the on the on the path to creating theories. In my mind, in my experience, if I pose a question for uh, that I want to know something about a deeper is beyond the sensory experience, and it seems to me that it's a meaningful question, <clears throat> and I start hunting it down, then things start falling into place, into pattern. One thing suggests another. And do you find yourself a more complete picture that leads you back to who you are and where you are at this particular moment? You know, so it gives you a more holistic understanding. That is, if the if the hunch, if the original imagination of the original insight or intuition is a valid one, if it if it doesn't suggest anything, it just gives you odd, uh, chaotic uh, sort of solutions then in my experience, it's better just to leave it alone. That's not the right path. The right path is inscribed in us because we are part of the Akashic field and that, that what there is, is accessible to us. We can imagine a lot of other things. We can, we can create perfectly false ways to move forward. Unfortunately, we are creating and some of them as, as humanity does these days. But or if we are moving along the right way, the nature's way, the, the, the cosmic way, life's way, then things fall into pattern, then things make sense. Is the Akashic field around us? Is, there a, is it a place? Is it just embedded in the code of the universe? How? Where is it exactly? The Akashic field is not something that is. It's not when you can say that the universe has an Akashic field or the universe has the characteristics of an Akashic field. I say the universe is an Akashic field. You know, this so-called subject predicate way of explaining things. And this green, this is an object, hard object and it's green. You know, the object and its predicate. That doesn't apply to the to the new quantum science, to the new in, in, information about the, the nature of the world. Things are, are together with their characteristics, with their properties. They are not separable. There is no background basis. There is no uh, pure matter, for example, or pure field on which we is inscribe our experiences. The whole universe is a field, and it's everything that happens is part of that field. So the cosmic field, I think the Akashic field, is our approach, our understanding, of the Akashic field. This is how the universe appears to us. It appears to us as a beyond sensory Akashic type of a field in which all things are present that have been past. I don't believe the future is present. I don't think the future has been done, has been created. It is yet to be created. But certainly when it's created, it will be created very largely in reference to what has gone in the past. Again, not deterministically, not by a unique way determining this is what happened in the past, therefore it must now happen that next time in the future. And I think there is real freedom <clears throat> for philosophical-minded listeners. I recommend looking at Alfred North Whitehead's metaphysics and philosophy. He described all these things that were before the quantum physics became known, but he described it in terms of a single logical scheme of how things hang together, how all things 
conspire, as it were, to create any one thing, and how any one thing is present in all other things. It's 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 present in our in our mind, in our imagination, in our consciousness, and now we are hunting it down. And turns out that this is as good a physics as we can get, as good an account of reality as science can deliver to us. What role do you believe that the Akashic records play in our understanding of phenomena like reincarnation, past lives, interdimensional experiences? Well, if everything is present that has been ever happened, is still present. Obviously, the reincarnation is not a process; it is a recall, and and the similar is more is better. With going back to the idea of a cloud. It's there. It has to be clouded up. It has to be called up. You know. So our past lives are, are still present, but we can't normally access it through so, so our ordinary states of consciousness. We can, however, enter deeper states, and we can literally recall, call up again those lives or those episodes, those happenings that have been going on in the past and that interest us particularly. Everything that's happened is in principle recallable, including our past lives, including other people's past lives and things that have happened even a long time ago on this planet. Can the Akashic field help us have a better understanding of what consciousness is? Well, consciousness, again, goes back to, I want to go back to what I said a moment ago. It's not as though we have consciousness as though we have a brain, we have, we have cells in our body and interactions, and that creates consciousness. I think consciousness is very much part of the quanta that make up our bodies. Quanta, consciousness is, a, is a, a feature. I wouldn't say property because it's a separate thing, but a feature and a hallmark of reality. This is a conscious universe. It is a universe that we can perceive as conscious as before we used to perceive it as being material and just your know, passive matter following eternal laws in the Newtonian physics. Now we can conceive consciousness as being the, the cosmos itself. The cosmos is a conscious emergence, or rather the emergence of consciousness from a deeper layer. Deeper layer is a potential for consciousness. You all have this potential. The, the potential is there in the universe. We recall it. We are still in the position, I want to recall, the position of going back and calling up from the cloud what I think, what we think we are interested in, what we really want to know. And because that cloud contains all the things and our passcode to it, to pursue the similar, is, is our altered state. In an altered state, we have a key to these experiences. In ordinary states, there are maybe hunches that we cannot follow up, maybe not even aware of. If they are there, but we, we are not sensing it, we sense this broader, deeper reality in a, in, a, in a modified state of consciousness in which we attain to a much broader spectrum of events than what we do in ordinary states. I would love to hear your thoughts on how the Akashic field helps or helps explain the potential of a cosmic hologram or a simulation, the simulation theory of everything, because the field itself sounds, you know, that is almost like it's code. 
if you want to use the cloud analogy that way we hard drives and things like that in the world where this information just lives within all of us. What are your thoughts about how that interacts with this idea of the cosmic hologram? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, the cosmic hologram is is the Akashic field again. Mm. The field is a hologram. The field is not a bit, bit a, a lot of separate events, energy, meta energy events in space and time. The field is a, a sphere of cosmic consciousness in which all elements are present in every part. And that's a hologram. The hologram is really uh, contains all things. You know, in an in a artificial hologram that we create in the laboratory, Mm-hmm. We can recall any one part. In in any one part, we can recall the complete information that has made up an image that we created. Mm-hmm. It's there in every image. The smaller the territory of the the size of the image, the fainter the image. Of course, the more fuzzy it is, but it's there. It's a very interesting way to do this. To actually do something analogous to this, is to take your glasses, your ordinary uh, reading glasses. Project, take a projector which projects all the slides, uh, several slides, but at the same time, without having an objective, a lens that articulates it as a, as a, as a, as a seeable, viable image. What you have then on the screen is the, is, the, is the visible spectrum. And all things are and they, and put together on that screen. And you take your eyeglasses, or you take any magnifying glass, for example, and put it in front of the screen. Lo and behold, you'll find that the entire image appears behind that glass on the screen. Mm-hmm. Because it's all there. That holographic spectrum is present in the field because we project all our slides on it. And those slides can be reconstructed by a simple focus. That's an analogy. That's a simple primitive analogy, but something anybody can try. You can take a slide projector, take out the lens, and allow put it in front of the screen, and then use your magnifying glass or your eyeglasses to to see what happens. So <clears throat> everything is in any one part. You can go anywhere. You can put a several glasses, a magnifying glasses, then several Im- images appear. So it's not unique and it's not limited to here and now. It's not just one thing. It's all things put together. And the universe is that total level field, total level information, informational spectrum, which is given, but which you don't recognize. We couldn't live, we couldn't get along in our daily life if that was a reality. We have to we have to articulate that reality or to reduce it to elements that we can cope with that tell us how to live, how to survive in this world. So there's a very good reason for taking the Akashic field and building, reducing it, as it were, to everyday events. That's what we do in the popular lore. It's not good science, but it is what helps us to get along in this world. Your analogy of the smallest element in a hologram reminds me of a pinhole camera, where a pinhole holds the entire image of the room that could be projected behind it just by using a pinhole of light. It's pretty fascinating that's if exactly. you've ever seen it. That's yeah. exactly, yes, yes, yes. 
That's that's one way of focusing the image, you know. Yeah. Allowing it to go through a pinhole. It's it, it, when I first time I ever saw that, I put a pin, I did a pinhole, and it literally projected the entire image on the back of the wall, and I was like, of the of the image that I was shooting at, I was like, how is that even possible? But it is. So something so small can hold all of this information. It's really fascinating to start thinking how that works. Well, a good, good lens concentrates an image at a given, to a given point. That's Correct. What it does. So it's, it's like a, a, a good magnifying glass is, is, is like a pinhole in its working. Do you believe that the study of the Akashic field and the Akashic records uh, and extension will be a bridge between science and spirituality, possibly? Well, bridge, yes. I don't like the analogy so much of the bridge. It says there are two separate things okay. which you can yeah. join together. I think the two things are not separate. There is an aspect, I would say, of the cosmos which appears as matter, as, as physical, material things. Another aspect appears as a, as a thought, as a cloud, as an image. You know, well, over 100 years ago, James Jones, a famous astronomer at the time, said that after his studying, on the base of his study of the, of the universe, he would say that the universe is more like a big thought than like a big rock. So that was already the basis of, of what appeared 100, 150 years ago. Now we know in the quantum sciences, yes, it, the universe is something that is generated out of a multitude of data at any given point, at all given points, it's generated, regenerated, reconstituted on the basis of data. And what they perceive is our assembly of that data into a coherent whole that we can recognize, that we can work with, you know. That is that recognition that is a reduction of the complexity to a simplicity, but it's a survival necessity. We live on a, in a three-dimensional universe, even if the universe is 12-dimensional, as Einstein supposed, but the living universe that is our background for our activities, for our survival, is a three-dimensional universe. Now, we can add the fourth dimension relatively easily through mathematics. We can add higher dimensions as well, but you're progressively removing it from our everyday world, removing it from the sphere in which we can live and survive. The, the idea and what quantum physics has taught us, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that we are energy and our atoms and photons and electrons and all that are just gathered together to form a rock, a table, yourself, myself. And that's the basis of concepts. But my question to you is, what is the organizing energy that makes this atom a rock and this atom, Dr. Urban Laszlo? I call it the evolutionary impetus. Mm. You can call it the trend or motivation or whatever. It's a kind of a law a universal law of development. Why things evolve rather than just staying heaps of like or similar or different dissimilar things? Why do they generate things that are, have a coherence? This whole universe is moving from the Big Bang, which was a state of total chaos as far as we know, and it's moving toward creating quanta, creating atoms, creating molecules, creating crystals and cells and organisms and superorganisms and galaxies and so on. It's moving toward coherence and organization. And the law that 
moves it, prompts it, is as basic or more basic than any other laws of nature. It's an evolutionary impetus. Not to mix it up with other laws, I call it in my books, I call it an attractor, you know, attractors in, in the system scientists. I, I used to describe what takes place, how, how a system behaves over time, how it evolves, what forms it takes. So this is an attractor in the universe, an attractor toward wholeness, an attraction toward wholeness, atropism. That's why I call it the holotropic attractor. And I think it's more basic than any other, other laws. So this law originates not on the surface, not on the explicate order, it originated, as David Bohm already suspected, in the implicate order. It's the basic basis of the universe from which the universe arises and which constantly governs the evolution of the universe. Very far out concept as, it's, as it seems, but I still to go back to what we said before. It's still, I think, it's the simplest possible scheme by which we can account these enormously, enormously astonishing facts that are coming to light. And Dr. Dr. Laszlo, can you tell me what inspired you to write your new book, The Survival Imperative, Upshifting to Conscious Evolution? I mean, it, it, it became the survival imperative. I wanted to write, actually, a state to which we can aspire to, that we can seek to, to occupy, to which, which I later call upshift to. You know? And when I try to describe these conditions of how we can create a kind of a movement in which people can survive, can live and can ultimately can thrive together. Then it became clear to me and also to my editors and publishers that what I'm talking about is a kind of an imperative. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You, if you assume that if you move toward a state, you survive. If you move in the wrong direction, a different direction, you risk extinction. So the survival imperative is really a condition to which we want to aspire to, to which you, in the direction of which we want to go. Focusing our ambitions, focusing our purpose, letting us know what we can do, why we are here. We are here to live and to survive and to develop. How do we do that? There are some conditions that we have to fulfill. Not everything will take us to an evolutionary future. We have to follow. We have to abide by and align with the holotropic attractor in the universe. Then we can go on the right path and we can survive and we can even thrive. Uh, Dr. Laszlo, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show and for all the amazing and tireless work that you do to help awaken the planet and help humanity, my friend. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the work that you do. Thank you, Alex. We are trying to wake up this planet and we are, you are doing it. I'm trying to do it. Together we can do it even better. Thanks for your conversation. I want to thank Dr. Laszlo so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 271. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. 
And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.